0: Check the mic and make sure it sound
1: right, boys. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm your host, Barrymore. At the age of eight, my next guest started racing junior dragsters and had a great career debut, winning four out of five races. In 2018, with a bike built by the team themselves, she became the first female in the world to cross a 200-mile-per-hour barrier on a street tire drag bike with a whopping 202.5 miles per hour. In 2020, she finally broke the seven-second barrier clocking an impressive 6.98 seconds, or 331 kilometers an hour, 205.9 miles per hour. Now she has a personal best of 6.88 seconds, or 346 kilometers an hour, or 214.9 miles per hour. Coming up next, this is Ida Zetterstrom. Uh well welcome Ida, uh you're Thanks. part you're part of a pretty prestigious group hey like um not very many people break the 200 mile an hour barrier on two wheels, uh, I
2: guess so and at least uh, for us women we are not that many so
1: no it's incredible like um uh yeah today uh it's just been women on bikes I don't know what the heck <laughs> just how uh, started of together but uh all of you have a different story and uh, locally. You, um, there's very few of you in each of your groups. Like, there needs to be a woman's uh, a world league where you can all just sort of uh, hash it out and see who who the the best is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that would be really cool. Yeah, would we be. are usually divided, you know, in so many different classes. There are women racing, but usually we are not that many in each class. Yeah, know like the pro stock bike girls, they they are a few in in US, they're actually quite a few of them. Yeah, uh, but over here. It's not as many.
1: And uh, do you guys have a lot of facilities? Like, um, what, what's the limiting factor? Like, what's the barrier to, to keep women out of the motorsport?
2: Um, yeah, like for me or locally, as I see it here, we don't have any place to train. Uh, I don't have a track locally where I live. Uh, I have to go to Sweden. I I live in Finland now. Yeah. Uh, or if I go to Finland, it's actually like twelve hour. Uh, ride just to get there so it's it's how do you say like the uh, you have to cross quite a big bridge to get there so you have to you know really really be passionate about it it's hard to be like yeah I will try this because it's fun because yes. since it's so limited our seasons are short everything is very expensive it's kind of i think it's kind of hard to get people in it that haven't tried it, not just women, but anybody. Uh, really, yeah. also, yeah, exactly. We have talked about, you know, the younger generation, we're actually trying to get a local uh, drag strip set up here, just like uh, hundred meters or so is something short so that the kids could try the uni dragsters or the uni drag bikes, uh, maybe license over here uh, so that they are actually licensed when they go to a big event. Uh, because right now, you know, it's a it's a huge deal to go to an event with thirty thousand spectators on this grandstands the first time yeah. you're actually trying this out. You don't even know if it's for you. Yeah. So we I really want to work for that over here, you know, just trying to get women and younger generation just into the sports.
1: That's crazy. And you, you started at a pretty young age. Like uh you are an old hand at this. You've been around for, for some time, right? Hey? <laughs> like Yeah, uh,
2: I did. I uh, I think I licensed when I was seven, It was actually, I think you can start when you were eight, but I was turning eight so I could take my license then and start. Yeah. I started racing for real when I was eight and, uh, but I've been at the track since I was three weeks old. So I'm, I'm as grown up to in it as you can be. So.
1: Yeah. It's in your blood. Like, uh, yeah. so that must've that, that must been uh, a huge help being part of a racing family, uh, a legacy, like your family's already at the track, so it's easy for you to, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, uh, what do your parents think? Like, you're in one of the most dangerous sports that there is. Uh, do, do they watch your races? Or
2: Yeah, I, I don't think the – yeah, they watch the races. They are with us the yeah. whole time. My my crew is – my dad is one of my crew guys, and uh, my – or my dad is actually um, – he, he is, you know, one of the biggest parts of our crew, and he, he helps me with everything from the build-up to – just being uh, the connecting link at the races and everything. And my mom usually comes along uh, just to cook, help us with media, just get everything ready. So it's a whole family deal.
1: That's awesome. Uh, that's re- that's really awesome. Uh, and uh, do, you, do you even remember your first race?
2: I did, yeah, because uh, we actually lived in Sweden then, but yep. I have been at this small island when I, I – I can just explain it. I'm born in Sweden, uh, in Stockholm, the capital of Sweden. Uh, I now live in Åland Islands, uh, which is a small island located between Sweden and Finland. It actually belongs to Finland. So I moved to Finland, but we do speak Swedish. So for me, it's more like a Swedish island, a Swedish part of Finland. Uh, But I've been here... When I grew up, we were here all summers. We were here uh, during you know, Christmas and everything like that. My grandmother is from here. My my mother is from here. My grandmother lives here. Um, so this was actually when I raced for the first time. They had a local, you know, not a drag race, just like a street race, yep. a small street race, a two-day event. And uh, my dad had built me a junior dragster and uh, they allowed me to test it for the first time here since that's i was sweet. still a bit young to yeah, get yeah. the license for reals
1: <laughs> that's awesome and uh the bike you ride today what kind of bike is that
2: it's a Hayabusa. yeah a turbocharged Hayabusa. yeah so uh, it's uh, we have about 750 horsepower my uh, god in the Hayabusa, so it's uh for a street tire bike without wheelie bars it's quite a lot of horsepower to put down.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I love looking at your bike. <laughs> like, it's just so sick. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, it's so long. Like, you had to extend the the, uh, the rear in order to yeah, keep the, from the wheelie. Yeah, it's
2: extended. Yeah, so here in Europe, we can run it uh, 68 inches uh, as the most. Okay. So that's what we are running and all of the guys in this class are running. I know some people, over here the class is called Street Bike. Yep. And many people compare it to Pro Street Bike, which they run in US. Yep. Um, the bikes are, are quite similar, but the classes run on different rule books. Uh, so it's quite a big difference. They, they run a lot faster in US. Uh, a lot of it is because of the different rules. They yep. can be a lot longer and they also have um, how do you say, like a weight to length ratio. So I'm as a light driver, I can be shorter, which when you have a heavy rider, you can be longer. Okay. Um, but then also the tracks over there are just very, yeah. how do you say, it? they are just they're, they're better and they run there all the time. We have like one or two events a year at one track. The track don't get as good then as it does over there when they run it. Every other weekend or so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the bikes are long, <laughs> but uh, they're not as long as they are in US. Uh, for US Pro Street, you have a short bike if you run sixty-eight inches. But across, okay. we all run the same.
1: And uh, what do you do for fuel? Like uh, you don't use pump gas, I imagine. You guys have to use race fuel.
2: No, uh, we have a f- we have a few uh, options. You can run C eighty-five ethanol. Okay. Uh, you can run. Uh, MS-109, you can run methanol. That was new for last season uh, that you can run methanol. Okay. Or actually 2019, it was first season you can run methanol. Um, earlier, they run leaded fuel, which they most of the guys run in U.S. Yeah. now. But over Sm- here in Europe, you can't run leaded fuel. It's illegal. Yeah. So they when they took away the leaded fuel, then... They had to give other options and then methanol was one of the options you could
1: yeah leaded fuel gives a lot of power and it smells so nice
2: yeah it does yeah, <laughs> yeah. i know <laughs> but we can't run it yeah. so when i bought the bike that we have now i bought it from us I raced it there one went, and then we took it home we totally took it down to pieces just onto the frame yeah. and we built everything uh, for me as a rider as how I'm positioned on the bike, how I like to ride it, but also according to our rules. And also we wanted to use the same engine setup that we had used before. And then we also changed, changed fuel.
1: Your your bike number is 13, hey? Like, how did you come to get that number?
2: Actually, the bike was called Lucky 13 when I bought it. Okay. Uh, So when I bought it, the bike was called Lucky. So it said Lucky on the back. It was green and white. And it has kind of been an icon uh, in US, like Super Street or Pro Street Bike Racing. Uh, And I kind of didn't want to take that away. I know that Nem, as a... Yep. The guy I bought the bike from—it was his baby. He had built that bike, and it was just—you know—it was his bike. Yeah, everybody for sure. knew about the Lucky Thirteen. Um, I still wanted to make it my own. I wanted to have my team colors and everything, but I just couldn't take away the the name. So we still have the. Four Clover 13 on the side, and we still call her lucky. It's still lucky, but it's kind of lucky 2.0. That's awesome. Uh, And I actually had to ask them if I could run number 13, because you can't enter for number 13. It's, you know. It's
1: banned. uh,
2: It's a number. Yeah, exactly. So I, I called one of the guys that worked with it and said, I kind of want to run 13. I know it sounds strange, but I want to run 13. Uh, you know, the bike is lucky 13. And he said, yeah, okay, we open it up for you. You can run 13. And I ended pretty up winning sweet. the series that year. So it oh, kind of it is lucky. has to have been lucky 13. <laughs>
1: well, I, I mean, luck plays a huge role, but everything else is you.
2: Yeah, we, we usually say that. Like, I, I love the bike. It's called lucky and everything. Yeah. But I don't really believe in luck. I believe in you make it. hard work and dedication. And we, we make our own luck. That's yeah. just... How we do
1: it. You get this bike uh, off somebody from America uh, who clearly loves yeah. this bike. How does that come to be? Like, yeah, how, how do you,
2: <laughs> the thing was uh, we had built the first super street bike I run. We had built totally from the, from the ground up ourselves. And we had done that with two bikes. Uh, the thing for us is our seasons are so short. Yeah. We have very limited schedule and every year we were changing stuff. Uh, and you don't want to change Everything at once, because nope. then you don't really have any idea what what worked and what didn't. So we changed small stuff all the time, uh, but it just felt like we were running out of seasons. So we were standing in the decision either to maybe take a year off and totally rebuild the bike because we didn't, didn't have time to
3: do make both. all yeah. those
2: big upgrades, and I also calculated like the numbers how be to make all these upgrades. Um, I saw this bike coming up for sale and we had been in the US watching this uh, Man Cup race the year before and we saw this bike run and we actually met the rider um, of the bike on the night. Um, Nem was the owner of the bike but then we had a guy, Mike Kovacevic that rode the bike and we met him in Clearwater Beach uh, at the after party. Yeah. (laughs) started talking, became friends, and he was a great guy. So when the bike came up for for sale, I checked it out. I kind of calculated it against our numbers. I was, you know, building everything from scratch, buying a bike that has good parts on it that we would have had to uh, buy anyway. And I just called Mike up and I was like, do you think Lucky is a bike for me? Do you think it would be good? And he just said, yeah, it's one of the best bikes I've I've ever ridden, it's it's a bike that goes straight, it's a fun bike, and it's definitely a good choice, and the price was decent also, so we just started talking to the owner and see if we could set it up, um, I actually had planned to race in Valdosta that year on the Man Cup finals, but on a rented bike, Yeah. Uh, but since this bike came up, we thought then we can run it there before we take it home, so it kind of, I kind of saved some money from yep. not having to rent a bike also so it kind of all just came together so
1: that's it sounds like it was meant to be 2018 that's the year you broke 200 miles an hour like how fast did you get so
2: 2018 we were just above uh just just above 200 i think we were 201 or 201.5 oh wow um i think 2018 was one of the strangest years we had um actually i remember when we decided to buy the bike. Uh, we had talked about it for a long time. It was um, it was ultimately my decision since I was the one paying for it, but yep. I just wanted my whole team to be down with it, and everybody was on the same page. And we just said, like, yeah, we want to buy it. So we talked to Nem, and he said, yeah, put a down payment on the bike. Um, I put a down payment on the bike on the Friday of our race in Norway, we okay. had a race that weekend. So I texted him, the down payment is done, and he said, you get yourself a bike.
3: Nice. The
2: day after, uh, my boyfriend crashes his bike, uh, going almost 200 miles per hour, straight into a concrete wall. Holy. Uh, ended up, yeah, he ended up being quite bad. He, he was very lucky. The crash was just, it was just horrible. I stood behind him. Uh, watching it, and everybody was on the start line. They just said, "Like, there's no no way he survived that." And I couldn't get down there; they wouldn't let me. No, of course uh, not. I just kept asking, "Can you at least tell me if he lives?" And it took, I think, twenty minutes before they could confirm that he was alive because they just said, "We can't confirm that yet."
1: Uh, the twenty minutes of not knowing whether he was alive or not—how was that for oh, you?
2: Yeah, that it felt like it felt like four hours or something. It was just. Uh, yeah, I, I I still, you know, just can't remember sitting there like, but just please just let me know. And they just said, we we can't let you know. We, yeah. we we can't confirm anything yet. And I just wanted them to let me go down there. I know I remember I was running down there and they just came there and like picked you. me up yeah. because I'm not, they just picked me up and just threw me like over the shoulder and went away. And um, I remember one guy from my class came there and like, hold me and said like, yeah, this stuff happens. You have to like calm down, get your helmet off. And he yeah. was just like holding me. I was crying and it, it was just horrible. But he was very lucky. He ended up just breaking his, um, he broke his hip and he broke his thigh bone in two places. Oh wow. Uh, they airlifted him to a hospital nearby and um, it was actually a trauma hospital that just dealt with those kind of stuff. So they were excellent. They're, they did surgery the same night and everything was just, they they said that it was 100% surgery. Everything was as good as it could get. Um, so he was very lucky. And uh, But yeah, it was like, you know, you went from being on top of the world. Like I bought my dream bike. And then the day after, we crashed one of our bikes. And Kim uh, ended up being in kind of bad shape. And I remember I was sitting in the hotel room with my mom that night. And... I said, like, I I think I need to I need to go back and run tomorrow uh, because I don't think that this is good, you know, psychologically to see something like this. Yeah. And then wait because you know it's it was like five weeks for the next race for us. So I remember I called the uh, the girl that was in charge of the race, uh, Lynn, and I just asked her like. I'm I'm leaving a walkover. I'm not racing tomorrow, but could I please come and run out of competition? Just one pass to see uh, how it feels. Uh, and she said, yeah, of course you can, you can run whenever you want uh, as many passes as you need. That's nice. And they were, they were really great. The whole, the whole crew there, they were, they were texting us and asking how he was and everything. It was, it was great. So that's a family. I right? remember I went to the, uh, yeah exactly that's kind of like the racing spirit and everything I remember we me and my family and the team we were just we just went straight to the hospital so the other guys it was uh, I think it was raining and you know bad weather that night so they had packed our bikes and everything up into their trailers to just to keep everything safe during the night and yep. everything it was just it just showed how everybody just helps out and everything That's awesome. So yeah it, it was it felt really good and i i came there the day after i didn't really want to talk to anyone because it was just it was just hard yeah um but my dad and arto our tuner had set up the bike and i remember arto asked me like do you want a safe pass or do you want a fast pass and i said give it all you got yes awesome. bring everything yeah. And we just, we started the bike in the pit. We didn't even, we usually, we roll it down and then, you know, you take your helmet on and everything in the lineup. We just drove it down. We drove it straight into, you know, past all the cars and they just stopped and let us run. And I, I remember I was really nervous. My dad told me like, uh, when I was going to stage, does it feel good? And I said, yeah, yeah, just, just we just go and we went and we did a new personal best we cut like a tent of of our personal best and uh, then i got a text message from my mother with a picture of kim watching from the you know wake up in the hospital yep. uh, on the live stream and just showing thumbs, thumbs up, up. So, Good stuff. <laughs> that's awesome
1: that's yeah. awesome
2: so that was a strange weekend <laughs>
1: uh and so have you ever had any uh crashes yourself
2: yeah um I did it wasn't a it wasn't a big crash at all nothing like like what Kim had um but actually that was in Norway that was our third race of the season okay and then on our fourth race, we went to Sweden. Um, that was a few weeks after. Uh, Kim was, you know, with us in the wheelchair <laughs> on the track. And uh, that was when we rode the 200 miles per hour the first time, so it was this great week. And everything was just, it just felt good to be back. And then I just felt like I, I really want to, I really wanted to race more this year because that was the final race of the year. Yep. So we saw that there was this small little race um it wasn't the same crew guys or so it was another uh, team that kind of you know rented the track and was going to yeah. do a small event and it, since it was the last race of the season everybody you know just went all out yeah and, uh, yeah it just it was i, I don't uh, i don't know how to say it but it just wasn't the feeling of a regular race you know when you know that safety wise and everything every Everything is just perfect, like it should be.
1: Oh, it's a little ragged.
2: This kind of, yeah, it kind of felt yeah. like that. Yeah. But we were like, yeah, it's, it's probably fine. But then after um, one of my passes in the in the uh, shutdown area, there was something. Uh, we don't know if it was oil or if it was just a part or something, but something just happened. I had the GoPro video from behind, and you can just see the bike going straight, and then all of a sudden, it just disappears from under me. Um, so the bike just it just slid off, and I slid off the bike. And, you know, we're just going on my stomach yeah. on the side, and the bike were just going towards the side. So I was all fine. I was, uh, I think I had a few bruises and some scrapes, but nothing more than that. But I remember I was. I was so mad because we had to repair the bike and everything, and yeah. it just it just sucks some yeah. of that, and also you know you you just want to get back up on it, but mm-hmm. I couldn't because the bike was broken, my leather was broken, the helmet had cuts and scrapes in it, so I, I just I couldn't get on it again, and that was I think first weekend of September, and the first time I raced after that was actually in u s when we were picking up the new bike in yeah. December. So break. that was also a strange feeling, like new bike, new track, yeah. And yeah. haven't since I crashed, uh, new helmet, leathers, everything. So yeah. we actually did have a good 2020. It wasn't that many events, but we did... We set some records, we did new personal bests, the yeah. bike were running just awesome. We we did a transition to a new Sonarotor turbo. We okay. have been running another turbo before, but uh, we have been dealing with uh, a tile and uh, Sonarotor for a while, but we haven't really made a step to change to a Sonarotor since no one else is running it on oh. a drag bike. Um but we actually saw their stuff at SEMA when we met them in 2019 yep. and those pieces are just excellent so we just said like okay no one is doing it but that doesn't have to mean it's not working like right, yep. even this so we tried it and that has been one of the most fun stuff for 2020 that we actually got to go to a track and try it out and just prove that this stuff works
1: COVID impacted the number of, of events and probably like, are you guys allowed to have fans or, or, uh, it's just strictly pit crew only.
2: Uh, well, for the first events in 2020, we didn't have any spectators at all. Okay. Uh, for the last event, we did have some, then they had, I think they had some spectators, but the pit weren't open. Like it yeah, usually yeah, yeah. always is in drag racing, yep. you know, this part of the charm. So, but actually for the last event, we did have an open pit. It wasn't that many spectators because they couldn't sell that many tickets. Yeah. Um, but at least we kind of got that feeling, you know, when you had a good pass and people are waiting for you in the pit, and yep. you know, just. Want to take a selfie or congratulate you or something it just raises your spirit it just feels great when people just come up and wants to talk to you like that i think it's it's awesome
1: of all the races you've had uh what venue was probably the most spectacular venue
2: well i have two tracks i would say like for the best track for like putting down fast times i would yeah. definitely say the one in valdosta the south georgia motorsport park where where I raced, Uh, the track is wide. The track is, you have a long shutdown area and everything is is really safe and good. Uh, But here in Euro, if you come here, you you have to go to Hockenheim because that event is so spectacular. I would say the track itself is not one of the best. Uh, Like, it's not the best to put down the fastest time and it's kind of bumpy and it's kind of strange because it kind of goes like, it's like a hill and then it goes down. So when you're standing uh, on the starting line, you can't actually see the finish line. Oh wow! Uh, and if you are the crew guy standing on the finish line, you can't see the bike going across the finish line. Oh. So that's very strange. And also since it's going a little bit up uphill, you have to like be careful not to go into stage and then let the bike go because you can actually roll out. So it's a little bit strange and uh, and stuff like that. But you kind of just forget all about it when you're there because the atmosphere is just fantastic. It's like 60,000 people on the grandstands. And, yep. you know, it's the same track as they do the Formula 1 races at. So yep. if you've seen it, you have um, you have spectators, like, all the way around. And the commentary guys are, like, just cheering everyone up. And everyone is just – the spirit is just amazing. And I remember, you know, I raced here in Finland and Sweden. And I had raced once in – um, in Santa Paul in England, which is also a great track. And, you know, people were friendly. People came, came up to talk to you and everything like that. But it was not the same as it was in Hockenheim. When, when we were just, you know, warming up the bike in the pits, we had 150, 200 people standing around our pit just watching when we warmed up the bike. And yeah. when we turned it off, they like they applauded, and we had a line every time we came there. We had a line of people wanting to get a selfie, wanting to get you know a hero card sign, wanting to buy a shirt or anything. It was I, I've never felt like a celebrity before, but you know now I understand how they feel. Yeah. that was something special, <laughs> like something out of what I'm used to.
1: That sounds like the best crowd to uh, face. Oh yeah. yeah,
2: like if you want to get you know shared up and like really see what it's like like come there because that's that's a very cool place to race at that's Definitely. awesome
1: racing's not not inexpensive by any measure uh you talk about oh, yeah. re- replacing a helmet replacing leathers that's like three thousand dollars right there um and yeah. then uh fixing a bike how do you afford all this stuff like uh you have sponsorship i imagine but there has to be some hard work on your end
2: yeah, it's both. I I have a full time job, yeah. uh, so that can't that can't fund it all. But of course, a big part of my salary goes into my racing. Yeah. Uh, and then I also have had some great partners throughout the years. We have had some companies that has believed in us from the start and yeah. just you know made it possible. Um, we have. We're not, you know, 100% sponsored like some teams are because, fortunate to be. Yeah. Uh, we do have to put a lot of our own money in it, and then also I'm very fortunate because we do most of the stuff in house. Uh, my boyfriend builds our engines. Yep. Uh, we have, I know we have some of the best engines because we have run fast times. We are very fortunate; haven't had a big. Uh, you know, engine failure, mm-hmm. uh, and he's just really, really good at that. And yeah, you know, I don't really pay him any salary, so yeah. <laughs> I save some bucks there. Uh, so he, he's just—I've been very fortunate for him to do that for me. For he works so long. for sandwiches, right? Uh,
1: huh?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, when when we both raced, yeah. when we had two bikes in the same team, we shared, uh, like we we split all the uh, all the work. He. Yeah, you know, and you know, he did the engines, and I worked on what I was good at, you know, just getting sponsorships, keeping them happy, uh, working on the marketing deal and everything. Uh, so I did what I could, uh, and then he did what he could, yeah. and then we split all the money that came in. Uh, yeah. And on the races, we we had to both work on the bikes. I did the clutches for both bikes. We do them every, after every run, and yeah. he kept the engines like looked over everything there uh and yeah we just we just had to have it like that because there was no way one guy could do everything when you had two bikes in one class
1: yeah fair enough D- does he race anymore or is he stopped or
2: no he, he stopped after his crash yeah. we he did build a new bike uh, not for the same class it's it's kind of expensive to yeah. build for a class like this, and since there's no insurances, you know, the bike. If you
1: that's it, that's all if yeah. you
2: crash, you crash. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, so he built a, a street legal bike uh, to race in a lower class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really cool bike, small turbo, like really, yeah, just really cool. We rode it on the streets also. Um, but the, the thing is, he he's not a hundred percent back with his hip, so okay. he got quite a, a lot of pain. Like, yeah. every time he rode, he kind of almost had to be home from work the days after because he was in so much pain and that doesn't really work <laughs> in the long run so uh, he sold it uh, yeah. and now he's he bought a jet ski and a dirt bike instead there you can at least control and you know you can race it when you yeah when you're in good shape and when you feel like it and then you can stop when you want to so it's a bit easier <laughs>
1: being, being a woman in motorsports uh is there a lot of fanfare because of that like do you, do you find that you have people coming by to to visit your pit because you're the girl on the track or
2: yeah uh both i would say i do have people coming by and feeling that it's i often it's it's women that feel it's fun for other women to be in racing Uh, i often have women coming up to me and saying like oh my my husband loves this but i haven't really been that involved but then i saw you and now i can share on you because you're a woman and i think that's that's fun it is Uh, but then also i i think we have been good at marketing, I think. We put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. So I also think that it's not just about the aspect of being a woman. It's also that we, we, how do you say, many people may know what we have been doing when we get there. They have maybe been following us. They know what, what parts we have put on the bike, what yeah. is new and everything. So that also makes it fun for them to follow us and come by and, see us when we come to the races so i definitely think that helps
1: yeah your your social media is pretty exciting like i love when they um like when they upload videos of you racing and just like from the from the <laughs> line here you are at that big bike with the the, the big back tire and then psh- Just a little dot. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, so fast. I I, I
2: also like to see those videos. Also, I I do have those, you know, onboard videos. Those are great, but I really loved seeing those uh, where you actually can see the crew also. Like when you see the crew and we do a, a, when we run the, you know, 688 and you can just see the crew going crazy yeah. that's just i love those videos the most it makes me so happy
1: oh man it's like a landlocked rocket ship like 688 for a quarter mile that's so fast <laughs> so fast like
2: yeah and without wheelie bars i think yeah. for me the reason i fell in love with this class is because i, I would say i haven't been that into bikes when i was younger okay. but i've always loved racing um i'm i didn't grow up bike racing we were racing cars my dad raised pro stock car Uh, and i always loved the pro mods also they are you know they're wild they're big they're loud everything can happen and that's kind of what super street bike are in the bike scene they are they're wild you don't know what's gonna happen they are definitely they're loud they are (laughs) unpredictable I, I just feel like watching bikes those that was the most fun class for me to watch it has the high wheel stance it's uh, action-packed and tight racing and yeah i just I just loved that
1: when, when you're on the line just before you launch what are your last thoughts before go time like do you, did your mind get all calm or does it get all full of anxiety and crazy thoughts or
2: <laughs> no i i often get that question and i Always have trouble answering it because I always feel like, what do I think about when I'm standing there? And I, I just, I can't remember. So it has to be very calm. I just feel like I'm so. Usually I can, I can think about stuff. Yeah. Uh, up until the point where I roll into the water box, we turn the bike on and they show me it's time to do the burnout. Yeah. As soon as I start doing the burnout, I just don't have anything. It's you're just so focused on the task ahead, yeah. and you just do everything. I, I know when we came back, you know, after the Uh, now during the Corona season, like last season, I hadn't been on a bike in, I think it was nine months.
3: Oh, wow. That's a long I just
2: remember, you know, when we went to that event, I was just sitting in the bus on the way up and I was like, man, am I going to remember what to do? Yeah. (laughs) Do I even know? How did I do a burnout? How, 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 what, what if I forget something? But then as soon as we started the bike and they showed me, you know, just do a burnout, I didn't even think everything just,
1: comes together you
2: just do everything as you it just comes naturally absolutely
1: and your your clutch uh do, do you have like a hydraulic clutch or or like an auto clutch like how do you get through the gears do you got to shift yourself
2: yeah i shift my i shift my help myself that's actually one of the things that we have have to have in super so street bike the rider have to shift themselves okay uh, but i don't shift you know with my foot i shift uh, with a i have a air solenoid you know and yep. then i shift with a button so i shift on the horn button <laughs>
1: okay yeah yeah that's sweet and the, yeah. uh and you just you basically just bam 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 as you're like screaming down yeah and then on that the,
2: trying to get the shift points <laughs>
1: and when uh the boost comes on for the the turbo uh that's got to be exciting yeah. that's got to be like the best feeling ever
2: yeah
1: <laughs> And
2: yeah, the thing is uh, we have like, I think I've had a, uh, I've had a 121 60 foot yeah. uh, and that's if you compare it to us, it's not as fast, but they have, their tracks are different. They can yeah. put down more power in the beginning. We really can't, but in Europe, it's one of the fastest 60 foot in this class. Uh, but for me, the 60 foot isn't what feels fast. Okay. It's what happens like between a hundred meters and like 300 meters, because that's where that's where it kicks in. Yeah. Uh, You know, you can't apply too much boost in the beginning when you don't have any wheelie bars uh, and you don't have a slick tire to rely on. You only have a street tire uh, because you will flip. Uh, So you apply as much as you can with, uh, you know, low wheelie uh, and then when you get out there and the boost comes on, then you feel it and also you know your your front wheel don't it doesn't really touch the ground ever uh, during that part so you can just feel you just feel the bike being it just like it touches and comes up and it touches and comes up but it's mostly in the air so you just feel it being loose you can feel yep. like in the handlebars that it's float. loose. um and yeah that's usually what that's that's where it's most exciting and then also of course with the turbo it never stops that's the that's the best part like if you're running a naturally aspirated bike you can feel the power coming in like or you you can feel the power of the bike but then after a certain point nothing more happens like you will accelerate a bit but not that much yeah but with the turbo like it never stops (laughs) accelerating it just pushes on and on and on and on and that's you know that's just the that's like the sweet the sweet stuff
1: with it <laughs> and so then it's pure courage after a while hey like because <laughs>
2: <laughs> you just hanging on <laughs> yeah,
1: more, yeah. More, more gas more speed uh and you're just full throttle <laughs> like with the front end floating and and the turbo just winding out and nothing but power yeah. on tap you just trust your mechanic from then on hey because are you more of a passenger or yeah. are you a pilot
2: i would say like when, I, when we got the bike over here, when we rebuilt it for the 2019 yeah. season, um, I remember I hadn't got my custom letters yet, so I had to use like a road racing uh, suit that yeah. was, I'm quite tall, so it was kind of too small for me, it's too short. Okay. So I had a big issue with getting my feet up on the pegs of the bike. So the first run out, like first run ever on the new built bike, they said like run 60 foot, maybe half track if it feels good. And I said, okay, I will will hang on as long as it feels good. And I could just feel instantly like, okay, we're on to killer pass. I have to keep this on, but I couldn't get my feet on the pegs. So I did, you know, like a Superman. I was just like straight, just holding the handlebars. And then I was just like the Superman hanging after it. And we did get a big personal best. We ran a seven twenty eight and we had been a seven thirty six. So yep. for us it was great for a first run out. But it just then I, I would say I I feel I was a passenger there and <laughs> it felt like I was doing you know, 300 miles per hour because it felt like it was going so freaking fast because I didn't have my feet on the paint. Uh, But after that, as soon as I could get a proper suit again and I could get my feet back on the paint, after that, I feel like I'm the one in charge.
1: Nice. Yeah, flag on a stick. (laughs) Like, geez.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how it felt like. I think I have a video of it on my Instagram because I was also, you know, you have that little seat. Uh, that you can jump up on the back seat, yeah, the but we don't do it. At least I've never done it. Yeah, but you know, I was up there and it wasn't by my choice. It was just <laughs> gravity yeah. pulling me there. <laughs> so I was like straight up the bike. That
1: so, must yeah. have been crazy. Uh, so have you got like a, a speed in mind, like a top speed that you want to achieve? What...
2: We didn't say we had to go 215, nope. but we said we wanted to go faster than. Nikki Sack, Nikki Sack runs Pro Nitrous. And she has been, uh, she has had the top speed in the world uh, for women on a drag bike, no matter what class, she has been the fastest. And if we could beat her, we would be the top speed holder of women in all drag racing bike classes. And we did this year. So that was, for us, that was big. I know we don't count those records, you know, a woman being the fastest isn't a real record. But for us, it was still—it's still like a milestone for me. It feels like okay, no woman has ever been that fast on a bike. Uh, Of course, I want to be fastest, period. Not just fastest as a woman, but just just fastest, period. But it's still something to be happy about. I feel like it's—it records are meant to be broken. You know, someone's gonna take it from me one day. But it's still it's still nice to have done it. And that was also, you know, when we did the first 200 mile per hour run on a street tire by a woman, that's also yep. something it's going to be broken, but it was the first yep. you can never be, you can't the be the first, first twice Yeah. So that was something that was, I don't know. We got some attention from that. And that was the same thing. We said, I know it's not an official record, but it's still something, uh, that feels good for us because no one has done it before. Anybody and who. feels good for us to show that you, you can do.
1: Yeah. Any, anybody who rides a motorcycle can appreciate uh, that kind of best. Doesn't matter if it's an official record or not. Like 215 yeah. miles an hour to exactly 200 yeah. miles an hour. Like it's a pretty elite group. There's not a lot of people on the planet who've been there. Getting over 210, that's pretty insane. And then every mile above that is yeah. pretty insane. You could put two people on the same bike and maybe never have anybody get there again. It takes courage, takes talent, and and a good mechanic. Oh
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. And a good tuner. Yeah. yeah have, like everything has to be so the
1: the the barometric pressure. Like there's so many factors that, that play uh for or against oh, yeah. like and yeah, to have all the stars aligned on a street tire, like yeah. that part yeah. is like insane.
2: Yeah and I feel also we were happy because we did it several times because uh, it feels good to do it once but when you can back it up and do it several times that was make it feel even better and it was the same you know we we won the 2019 series that was awesome it was felt really good but then also we ran the first six in Finland felt very good and it was the first six on a sub street by a woman but then when we ran the 689 and 688 and backed those up yeah. that's you know to back it up felt even better when we ran the 689 we were the second team to ever do it in Europe there yep. uh, is only one guy that has been in the 68s before over here so that felt huge because for me it wasn't just i'm fast as a woman that some people said i was like i'm fast period like look at us we are a fast team we 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 were the second fastest in Europe then actually my Uh, Arch-nemesis Vesa came and took it from us But we were the second fastest Uh, And then we backed it up also Which just made it feel like We know what we're doing We we belong here I usually, I quite often think about something that one of our friends said when we were racing in the US, we were actually two uh, Scandinavians racing in the US yep. at the same time. Uh, the other guy was named Patrick Boring, he was also racing the Pro Street bike class. And I remember when I was gonna run, he came to our hotel room like the night before, and we were just sitting there talking. And I was like, "This feels so strange. Like these are the best in the like best in the business, and I'm gonna race against them. What if I don't have what it takes? Or like, what if I..." what if I can't run this bike? I haven't never been on this bike before. That's fair. And he just said, like, if they can do it, we can do it. What, like, what's the difference? Like, yeah. it was just, it just felt so simple when he said it, like, if they can, we can, like, it's, it's not an issue. And I, rem- I just keep coming back to that quite often. Like when I, if I ever start to doubt myself a bit, uh, like, can I, can I run in these conditions? Uh, can I actually handle this if we're doing something new or so? I just see someone else do it, and I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't have to be like, if that girl can do it, I can do it. No, I don't no. really feel like that. It's just like, if he can do it, I can do it. It's, yeah. What does he have that I don't have that makes me not being able to do it? Like It's nothing. It's just he sits on it, and he he does it. So I'm going to sit on it. And I'm going to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have experience. Like, so, I mean, I could understand in your first week uh, that not ringing you true, if they can do it, I can do it. Or, you know, but now, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: If you kind of usually have to
1: have a little experience, maybe but feel,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. that helps. Yeah. But at least then you can feel like if they can, if they could learn it, I can learn it.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If they can do it, eventually I can. Like they're, what yeah, makes them so exactly. special? Uh, well, I know what does like, Courage makes drag bike riders special. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> I think you need like that a bit of stubbornness, maybe. Yeah. And they said like lacking some brain cells help also.
1: Maybe, maybe I don't know. Like uh, the the not caring about if you're around tomorrow. <laughs> like, uh, but uh, it just like just getting off the line uh, on a regular sp- sport bike. You know, just trying not to get your wheel too high when you're giving it all you can get. Uh, yeah. that's nothing compared to the, the struggle you're going through for the same thing. It's just like your bike wants nothing more than to flip back. Like, <laughs> you know, the, and you're trying to not do that, uh, while getting as close to that moment of release as you yeah. can, like, you know, just
2: exactly. It's just like finding that hover. Uh, point of, you know, balance. what's the max you can do exactly yeah. before it just goes <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. goes too far. And
1: you need yeah, to find we it. We have
2: had our fair and share of uh, wheelies also. Oh, like I bet. first first year of racing in super street bike I I did nothing but wheelies. <laughs> it was just wheelies all the time and they were not low. They were oh, yeah. I've had some that were like you know on the on the verge of tipping over. Oh, I God. I have some pictures like on my Instagram if if someone is doubting us but yeah. yeah. So we've been there. Yeah. But that's also something like with with racing and or what, whatever you do, uh, me and my team we have had this uh, theory: like you, we don't want it easy; like we want to learn the right way. Yeah, I, I know that some teams, when they have new riders, especially if someone is very young or maybe if it's been a woman that hasn't been that much on a bike and she doesn't really have the confidence to do it, someone else breaks it in for her. Like, okay, now the tune-up is. I have run this in before my son gets it or something like that. So the bike is good. I have checked it out. There's no gremlins. I took the bike with all the gremlins. It had so many gremlins, which it took us two years to, you know, just sort them out. But the thing is, I would have never been ready for the new bike if we wouldn't have done it like that, because I had to learn how to control wheelies coming up fast Uh, in the beginning. I had to control wheelies uh, down track. I've had wheelies, you know, 300 meters out. I've had uh, like really bad spin outs, like (laughs) spinning from the line, like just a little, like a lot. And I've, I've even, I even had, we were on a really bad track. Like uh, it was no traction Okay. and something happened to the two steps. So it didn't leave on the RPM, we set it in, it left like 11,000. And instead of flipping, it went sideways because there was no traction. So I hit the tree with my foot from the inside of the tree, like going.
1: Oh, God. Yeah.
2: Like between the starter and the tree. Yeah. And um, I just saw, the thing is, you know, when you're running turbo, um, when you got it to spool, you had to go down to 0%
3: to
2: get it to stop spooling. This was my first pass ever on the bike ever ever and I took you know a good grip put it on like full throttle and then it just went sideways instantly and I sat up and got off the throttle to be able to you know control it but I had I think seven percent throttle left so it kept you know spooling a little so it kept going and I just had to try and steer it away from the tree because you you know you don't want to be the girl that hit the tree her first pass yeah, by the Sorry tree you me mean the uh and just gave it a slap with my foot. The the
1: the the light tree. because uh, I guess yeah, not exactly. everybody listening would know. Yeah. Some of you are gonna think it's like a a forest the drag tree. Racing yeah, Christmas yeah. tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah
2: so. <laughs> the one
1: that has all your attention. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the thing was that was my first pass and then my second pass was a huge wheel stand. So uh yeah, just like the first year of racing, we had a lot of gremlins to sort out. That's and awesome. Of course, it was also me having to learn how to ride, but yeah. it was a lot with the bike also getting everything to, you know, every, everything to work. People said often to me, like, someday you will learn with the clutch and the um, and the gas to not do those high wheelies. And yeah. I was like, we run a lot of clutch. I dump the clutch. It's If I dump the clutch, it's i can't control it then with uh with my hand like okay Okay. i I can let go and i can get it down but the thing is when we leave the line we have the rpm set up on the two-step and then i dump the clutch okay and the bike shouldn't wheelie like that okay and so that's that's not a rider error that's just mechanical something we have yeah Yeah. exactly and also you know working with the um like the chassis of the bike. It was a lot of chassis and uh, a lot of suspension uh, issues had to be sorted out. And like we talked about before with the short season, it's really hard to knowing which which end you're going to start in. Yeah. You change one thing and it gets a little better, but it's still not good. So you have to change another thing. And yeah, so, but I, I still feel like that was really good for me because I, I definitely had to, I had to learn the hard way, yeah. but it's no other way to be, a good rider
3: fast
2: because you you have to be able to, it's not just anyone can go fast when it's a good run. The thing is just that uh, not all run is going to be good runs. You're going to have more bad runs than you're going to have good runs. And if you're not, if you can't be able to control them for once, it's, it can be, uh, it can be dangerous. But also when you're in competition, uh, you have to be able to save a bad run to be able to stay in competition, to mm-hmm. have a, sh- a chance, so to
1: recover and I feel win. like
2: it, yeah, exactly. So I feel like it taught me a lot that I definitely feel useful right now. And it also gives me like the confidence that I know what to do if something happens. Yeah. And I think that makes me a better rider when I feel confident on the bike and I feel like throw it at me, I, I can handle it. I don't have to be scared when running
1: yeah, having a variety of different launches gives you a whole tool bag to deal with what's coming.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like in drag racing, it's rarely just perfect passes all the time. So yeah. you have to, you know, have those bad runs also to be able to learn.
1: I don't know. We get we get more education from when things went wrong than we ever do from when everything went right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, my, my my dirt biking career is all mistakes. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Right. I kind of have my dirt bike it yeah. looks also. But yeah, I'm <laughs> not <I'm>,
1: <laughs> I, I crash a lot. Like uh yeah. Uh, I should be a oh, tester yeah. for for safety equipment. <laughs> but, yeah, last time I
2: rode a dirt bike was uh, actually Christmas time uh, this year. Oh, yeah. I got to borrow a dirt bike from a friend in Sweden and we went out to this like sand track here, okay. local sand track. And it's uh how do you say like it's it's so soft the yeah. sand so yeah. you have to be like flat out all the yeah. way around or you to sink. be able to save it yeah. i could not be flat out i yeah it was just it had been too long for me to be on a bike so i was just laying down like all over the place like falling down every time i <laughs> i got off the gas a little bit it was too little and then i just tipped over and <laughs> that's awesome i was so mad well it's like yeah. it was good exercise
1: yeah that's what it is like i have a friend uh, they go on their ride in the sand, uh and they say it's just exhausting. Like we don't have much I live yeah. in the in, in the rockies, so we have one little patch uh where we go where there's some sand. It's just not very big. So I haven't really experienced uh being able to be wide open on, on, on a sand patch. But uh I have ridden through a little bits and it's it is it sucks you down and it's pretty oh yeah pretty exhausting.
2: Yeah. It's just like you're losing control and sometimes it feels like you have to be flat out but yeah. you're still like you're afraid of the bike. Yeah. You know, you're taking control over it.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, yeah. I have a tattoo that says like when you're in doubt, throttle, throttle out. out yeah. I do believe in that. It usually fixes everything. So.
1: usually is when uh, a lot, like on street riding with a lot of guys that crash uh, it's cause they, they let off the throttle in the turn instead of getting in on it and they're looking out Yeah, like, so it's just a combination of problems. Uh, but if they had have yeah. trusted the bike to do its job, they probably would not have crashed. Yeah. yeah,
2: Yeah, I had that when I was starting to learn how to ride a dirt bike. I I got to borrow a bike from a guy. Uh, The issue was since it was a board bike, I didn't go as fast because I felt like I didn't want to crash. So I crashed everywhere all the time. And then after a while I said to him, like, can I buy this bike? And he said, yeah, yeah, buy it. So I bought it. And then all of a sudden I stopped crashing. I was like, what happened? But yeah, I picked up momentum because now it's my bike. I yeah. can crash my bike. It's yeah. not the same as crashing someone else's. And as soon as I get more speed, everything is sorted out. So.
1: That's awesome. Um, so do you think that uh, drag racing is going to take you to another country to live, like someplace that's warmer, longer season?
2: Oh, uh, that would be nice. Yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've always dreamt of racing in US. U.S. Uh, the thing is, since this class, uh, it's not... Um, this this class isn't available in the U.S. You can ride pro street bike, but yeah. pro street bike it isn't it isn't as big as the NHRA races or something like that. Yeah. So you can't really live of it. Okay. Uh, you probably could, but I don't th- I don't feel many people do. Uh, it's quite hard. It's not as many races. It's not as much uh, media time. It's not as many guys on the. Uh, as many spectators or I anything like yeah. that so if you want to race in u.s i feel like you have to go and a racing uh, or maybe mm, some other series that at least is bigger and has more the money uh, media yeah. cover more money more yeah. spectators and everything like that uh, so if i do go there to race it probably won't be in super street bike or pro street bike um but i do have some other plans also uh to maybe go back and racing a little bit more on the car side. Oh, wow. Uh, So that's something new and exciting that may happen pretty soon. So I'm not abandoning the bike scene. No, uh, no. But I may get my feet wet in one of the car classes uh, in Europe. And we'll see where that takes us. Yeah,
1: fair. Like, uh, I mean, clearly racing's in your family's blood, not just yours. So. like yeah i could see how if you want to make a career like you're in a boutique class so to branch out would be the the best way like i i would love if you could live off of uh racing and not have to have the day job like i guess that's everybody's dream
2: yeah you know that is my dream and i know i've i've talked to people about it also like what is your dream and i i always say like to work with racing and it doesn't have to be mainly just work as a racer yeah. but to be involved with industry and you know maybe work with the media side of it and of course I want to race I don't want to step away as a racer because it's just it's everything I love and yeah. it's what I what I yeah it's
1: and you're successful at life. it yeah.
2: <laughs> but I, I do feel that maybe I have other stuff also to give to the industry yeah. uh, I also um, I like to as we talked about in the beginning, just maybe try to get more women and, and uh, the younger generation into racing. I yeah. like motivational speaking and to just encourage more people to get into the sport. Yeah. Uh, so maybe there's something there also that we could avail all the time.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's like the, all the stuff, like the club that I belong to, uh, we race for the kids, right? Like, so the everybody yeah. races on Saturday, Sunday, the kids race. And the the president of the club is always saying how um, to us adults like uh, appreciating the kids and being there for the kids and sticking around for their yeah. races is how the sport's going to continue because they're the next generation. I would love to see everybody racing uh, at least once, one time, just go race one time, like
2: you know. Yeah, you see if it's something for you, and yeah. also I feel like also with like the social media being. Where it is now, mm. it's evolved a lot also over the last like 15, 20 years. Oh, yeah. So I would also think like uh, before, maybe you have to have uh, rich parents or big sponsors to get into it. But I also feel like nowadays you have another opportunity also to uh, help your partners being visible yep. in social media. It doesn't just have to be, you know, uh, I knew someone and I can get a big logo in the car. And I feel like to to teach maybe more people about that. I know it's in US, they've come a long way, but over yeah. here in Europe, we we are not as good at, uh, you know, at uh, marketing our race teams okay. as they are in US. Uh, I would say there are a lot of racers that still kind of, Maybe, you know, have that feeling that a sponsor should give you something and then you should have a logo on the car or in the trailer. And that's pretty much it. But for me, I always try to speak about, you know, you're not you're not a sponsored rider. You know, if if I have a partner, a sponsor, I don't usually like talking about sponsors, I like yeah. talking about partners and yeah. for partner. You know, I'm their I'm their front person, their face forward. And yeah. I. I have to be, you know, the, that spokesperson for that. them, I have to be a role model for the kids and yeah. other people wanting to get into the business. And I have to use, you know, my social media channels and also my, like my time at the racetrack to just give them the visibility that yeah. they need when investing in me. It's kind of, you know, they are... They are hiring me to do a service for them and that's, you know, a marketing service. So I feel like there's a lot to work work on there for a lot of European teams to maybe find that mindset of what you should give back to your sponsors and partners. And then maybe we could get some more uh, bigger names into the sport in Europe also because... Drag racing is a lot smaller in Europe than yeah. it is in USA. But I do feel that maybe we could get more uh, media time, more maybe visibility in television, or maybe get some bigger sponsors to pump it up a little bit. But we do all have to, you know, uh, put in our work and yeah. to be a part of this. And uh, I feel that there's also something that would be very interested, interesting to work work with. You.
1: Well, you seem like a really good ambassador for the sport. Like, uh, oh, you know, you. I'm, well, heck, I'm in Canada and, and I'm aware what, you know what I mean? Like you've reached your audiences at least this far, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and yeah,
2: uh, that's, yeah. yeah. I, I usually, I, I feel very like humbled and very, uh, I, I get very happy when I see like people ordering our shirts or hero cards or something from our website. And then I see I have to ship, Shirts to Canada, I have shit yep. there, and Japan, or I have Greece or Dubai or something. And for me, I'm just every time I read something like that, how the heck do they know who I am? Like, yeah. <laughs> it feels so strange for me, but that's something that makes me really happy to see. That's also, you know, the social media part of it, because if you were a European racer only racing in, Euro- in Europe, you don't do any media coverage or any social media, yeah. people won't know who you are yep. when you are in USA or when you are in Canada. and you know, we have been like so blessed when we have been in US, like going to a race just to watch and someone has stopped us and be like, oh I follow you on social media. Can I can I have a picture of you? We had someone like on our hotel in Las Vegas like, Oh, that's you. Can I have a picture of you? I, I get I get so amazed. No one knows who I am over here in like if I go to Sweden no one would stop me on the street. But so yeah it's yeah, it's just, that it kind of shows, you know, what you can do, like with social media, you can really be more visible and yeah. and get, you know, the word spread out there. We have sponsors or partners from US also, and I love to be able to give them that visibility
3: yeah.
2: all over. And it's it's just, for me, it feels like I give back to them what they give to me. And that's yeah. the most important thing it should be and some uh, something that both both parties get a lot of i would say like we don't have that many sponsors from the motorsport industry we have sonar rotors and tile that are great and we have some small ones but most of the sponsors that we have they are not in the motorsport industry we have you know like cinderella yeah Uh, a lot of people ask like why does it say cinderella on your back that's awesome you know what cinderella sells no. They sell toilets. They sell, you know, gas toilets that you have like in your RV. That's awesome. So <laughs> you don't ever have to, you know, change one of those like porta-potties again. Yeah. You have it's gas, they burn it and then it's ash and you just throw it out. It's the best oh, invention. Oh, it's in, okay, ever. yeah. Yeah, so we have it in our race trailer and actually several teams have uh, installed it in their trailers now also. It's just it's the best thing. I saw it actually I think they'll I think they sell in US a little bit now, but it's mostly here in in um, Europe.
0: Yeah.
2: But yeah, it's it's a it's something that most people don't think is uh, is a motorsport sponsor.
0: Yeah, but you got to take uh, care of the business.
2: It doesn't have to be <laughs> in, in the motorsport industry, but I was... I just feel like there's so many RVs and trailers yeah. uh, in the motorsport industry. Yeah. And everybody always complains about having to go empty the damn shit all the time. Yeah, <laughs> going to empty this? No one yeah. wants to do it. Yeah. I, I, I don't do it. Like, no. And, and then it's better to, you know, you just invest in this. Nothing is gross anymore. Anyone can do it. You just empty it out on the grass. It's
1: That's awesome. Yeah,
2: just yeah. yeah. ashes. So, I well, mean, there's a big big potential there for customers. So that's kinda of what you have to see. Like, yeah. okay, this isn't a motorsport product, but there's a lot of people in the motorsport industry that would really would benefit. love this product. Yeah, you bet. So yeah. uh, the, then we can give something back to them.
1: Their their marketing team have geniuses. They're like who who who's a big R V company or uh customer, yeah, Motorsport. <laughs> These guys everyone <laughs> exactly. lives in their trailer And so. they're great
2: guys yeah. also. So I, I actually I sell those things uh in my day job. That's oh, okay. kind of how I got in touch with them. Uh, and we just saw like this this would be great for our bus. Yeah. And since they're great guys also, we just we talked to them and they've been on board with us ever since and it's just it is great. And it feels great also to not just all have the same sponsors. Of course, it's good with those, you know, motorsport companies that really invest in motorsports. I, I love it. Absolutely. But I also love seeing outside companies uh, getting involved with the sport because that also means that they are there are many new potential customers that we can attract for those companies. So
1: it's It just shows that there's an interest in the sport. Like it's not... Or uh, left off to the side and corporate America or, you know, corporate Europea said, like, forget it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of sweet. All right. Well, uh, uh, looks like I've come to an hour here. Uh, Do you want to thank any of your sponsors? Like, do a shout out to all your sponsors and stuff. We can, I can put that as a clip if you'd like.
2: Yeah, well, of course, I want to give a shout out to my amazing partners and sponsors them believing in me uh, we have a lot of them but uh, you know our main partner uh, m strand or eklundsbyg uh, with janne running the threads on that company he has been with us since the beginning and he has been a big part of us being able to go racing as we had and that's I really appreciate it. And then also, we have the great partners from Cinderella and Sonarotors, Tile. We have Lux Center that does the paint on our bikes, and And that's a local company over here that helps us too. And we have a lot of the smaller ones also that help out, but they're all equally important to me because they all make it work and go together. Nice. Those and my team. <laughs>
1: Sweet. Well, uh, it was really great talking with you. And I do look forward to talking to you again. And uh, all the best in the future. So All right.
2: That's great talking to you, too. Have Hope a good time. here soon. <laughs> Bye. Take care.
1: that brings us to the end of another episode. I want to thank my guests for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. A special thank you to you, my supporters. Without you, this would not be possible. If you enjoyed the show, give it a five-star rating. And If you haven't already, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to take the three-episode challenge. Once again, thank you for your continued support, and stay tuned to find out what's coming up next time.